Welcome to this week's edition of the Property Buyer and Sellers Podcast. I'm your host, Ken Hume, and I'm here to take you through the very latest news and views, hints, tips, and tricks to help you on your property journey. Hello, and welcome to this week's edition of the Property Buyer and Sellers Podcast. I hope you're doing well this week. And this week, we're going to be doing some scary stories for Halloween all around property. Uh, Some serious, some a bit of fun. But first of all, let's get into the industry news for the week. First of all, an article by the Office for Budget Responsibility, the OBR, which is in the BBC News, Daily Express, The Mail and The Mirror. And it says that the UK's house price boom is likely to come to an end, but property prices are still expected to rise in each of the next five years. The OBR has predicted that house prices will go up by 8.6% this year compared to a year earlier. The annual rise will then slow to 3.2% in 2022 before dipping to 0.9% in 2023. In March, the OBR predicted that house prices would fall in 2022 before returning to growth in 2023. It now believes this outlook was too pessimistic following the surge in property values during the coronavirus crisis. The government's official independent forecasters also said that mortgage rates are likely to rise from the record lows. It said the Bank of England may put up interest rates from the current 0.1% to 0.75% by the end of 2023, which would see mortgage interest soar by 13% in 2023, followed by a rise of 5.4% the year after. Now, this could be serious for you if you're a mortgage holder. And, you know, we said for a long time that it's a good time to fix. This is not financial advice. Seek advice from an independent financial advisor. But our view is that the long-term outlook for interest rates is that they will rise from historic lows. And every indicator seems to tell us this. So if you are considering what to do next, obviously, Longer term fixed rates come with a little bit more cost, but a little bit more certainty. So I think it depends on you. If you want the best value, you'll probably find a two to three year deal can provide you with a very good rate, whereas the five year rates plus can be higher and will be higher. But by the same token, will give you that added security. But there is, of course, the redemption penalty to consider. So if you're in for a five year fix and you decide to sell the property after year three, then there will be what we call a redemption penalty, which could be anywhere up to five percent of the loan you valued. So be careful of that one. Say so not financial advice, just something to look out for. The residential property market has been hit by supply issues, says The Telegraph. It says the demand for fixer upper homes is falling as house buyers are concerned about long waits for builders and spiraling project costs. Estate agents are a growing number of families are snubbing older houses owing to fears they will have to wait months to carry out renovations in the face of labour shortages. Many are also concerned about the fluctuating availability of basic materials. The latest example of how chain issues caused by the pandemic can filter through. Jeremy Leaf, an estate agent in North London, said he was seeing clients, both small and large, rethinking major purchases because of the worries about building work. But we haven't yet seen that filter through here. Um, we've seen most people, there still seems to be a big appetite for properties that need modernisation. So much so, in fact, it's still extraordinary. The prices that we're achieving for unmodernised houses seems to be in, bear no reflection to their final sale price. Angus and Westminster are Britain's most unequal property price regions, is an article in the mail. House price research by moving specialist Just Move In has revealed Angus in Scotland as the biggest gap between its most expensive and the area's average house cost. 
the so-called mansion gap in the region is so big because its most expensive property is the 11 million pounds Carriston Castle. Well, it's no surprise if they've got a castle there, is it? Come on the Daily Mail. That's really not a headline. OK, um, what else have we got today? The Bank of England is considering risks of cladding crisis to mortgage lenders. The bank is apparently examining whether mortgage lenders could go bust due to the cladding crisis. The Prudential Regulation Authority is reviewing the extent of lenders' exposure to leasehold flats affected by building materials that are deemed unsafe. But what about the individuals? What about the banks? They'll work it out. Uh, many of the individuals affected have gone bust and have been seriously affected. So um, that's where we sit on that one. Um, Dorset Beach Hut. Extension Planning Commission refused. And many of you will know that the most expensive beach huts tend to be around the south coast in um, Dorset and around that area. A council spokesperson said that a series of extensions to beach huts in Christchurch, Dorset has been denied. The council is aware the number are unauthorised and there's an open enforcement investigation into the matter. That's because they're so valuable now. People will pay so much money for these things. It's incredible. And finally, one in the mail. Cornwall Historic House sold with an unusual condition. Michael J, the owner of Lismore House in Cornwall, has sold the property for less than the £2 million asking price to a local jewellery shop owner. Mr J said he would only sell to a buyer who was familiar with the centuries-old annual spring tradition Flora Day, which sees hundreds of people visit the grounds of the property once a year for dances. Agents Alan Christopher said, as Helston has meant so much to generations of Helstonians through the integral part it plays in the Flora Day celebrations, they're proud to have been invited to market the property. Lovely story to finish on. Now let's get into some scary stories. It's Halloween, so we thought we'd do you some scary property stories. Um, I'll start with the first one where we were instructed with a property which was a beautiful three-bedroom family home in a tree-lined residential road here in Norbury in southwest London. And the client asked us to market this stunning home at a bit of a premium to normal prices, which was understandable. At the time, it was £2,000 per calendar month. It was a three-bedroom home with a loft extension and a rear extension. And the average for that sort of property in the area at the time was around 1700 So it was quite a substantial uplift in terms of price, but the property was quite stunning. So we marketed the property, showed a few people, and we couldn't quite find the right person within the first couple of weeks. Client was getting anxious because he had very large mortgage payments, gave us a call and said, we'd like to withdraw the property from the market because we found a tenant. I said, oh, congratulations. Um, tell me about the tenant. And he said, oh, it's through a friend of a friend and uh, they're paying 2,500. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. Are you sure they check out? Is everything OK? Uh, and they said, yeah, it's come through a friend. Everything's fine. You know, um, didn't hear any more from them. I just wished them well and off they trotted. About eight months later, I got a call from them saying, can you come around? I said, why? What happened? So anyway, I went around to the property and this beautiful family home had been absolutely trashed. And it was trashed because it was used as a drug farm for growing marijuana. And what they'd done is blacked out all the windows with uh, trash bags, uh, black trash bags, and then they'd used irrigation. They'd shortcutted the electricity supply so that there was no bill for electric. It was coming straight from the mains. And then they cut holes in all of the ceilings and all of the floors in order to pipe through irrigation. And literally, it was rows and rows of troughs of earth and soil impregnated by a specially designed uh, irrigation system with lights over. 
And it, it was an incredible piece of work, really. It was very neat and tidy. It was obviously a very professional operation, if you can call it that, resulting in the absolute destruction of this property. And when I chatted to the client and asked what had actually happened, he said, well, the way it was discovered, because, of course, these houses tend to be very, very quiet. They don't tend to be uh, rowdy places because obviously the people that have rented don't want anyone to discover what they're doing. What actually happened in this case was there was a police search and the police search involved a helicopter and the helicopter was using an infrared scanner at night. And this house lit up like a Christmas tree because, of course, all of the power it was consuming made it glow in the darkness. And this obviously highlighted to the police that it was clearly something unusual going on there. They raided the house and found this massive drug farm. The client, by the way, had been paid in advance rent in cash for the first six months. Um, takeaways from this are, number one, uh, it costs about £50,000 to put right. And I think the takeaway from this one, uh, number one, is that if ever you're offered cash in advance rent for a property, number one, that should be an alarm bell. Why would people offer you cash in advance if they're a bona fide person? There are reasons why they might, for instance, on the sale of a house, um, but you need to do your digging there and make sure proper references are taken. Uh, number two, most importantly, why would someone pay you significantly more than you're asking? You, know, you have to ask yourself this. Natural greed comes into this and people think, oh, yeah, the money's there. It's much higher than I would get if I rented it privately. Even the agent said it was less. And it's ended up being the most expensive and costly and scary let he's ever done. So that is the story of a house in Norbury, southwest London, and a scenario that the client doesn't want to repeat. We went on to manage the house for many years successfully and eventually sell it. But it did really focus in our mind that these drug farms can be right in your doorstep, right in a residential neighborhood where you just wouldn't expect them. So look out for people paying cash and look out for anything that looks unusual. That's number one. Number two story. This is one that my colleague Kelly recounted to me that I'd forgotten about. It was two years ago now. Kelly was looking at a property on Commonside East in Mitcham. And this particular property was a probate sale. And she had a viewing there. It was, I think it was November, actually. It was November uh, 2018. And she had an appointment to go around and look at the property. She booked it in her diary and said, look, I'm going to go up to this property. It's going to be a six o'clock one, but it's a hot client. So I'm, I'm going to go late. So she went to the property, arrived at the property and couldn't open the door. The door was always a bit stiff. And with the weather, a particularly at this time of year, she's looking at the mist over the common. She could see that there's not much light there because it backs off from the road significantly. If you can imagine, there's a big green in front of it and then there's a common opposite. There are street lights, but they're quite a long way from the front door. So she was struggling to get the key in the door, eventually managed to open the door, walked in, got a cobweb smack in the face, managed to sort of spit it out and wipe it off uh, and moved into the house. But she got a bit spooked because when she went to flick the light switch, the light switch was dead. There was no power. So she looked around for the fuse board um, and then she remembered that there was never power here. So she thought, I'll just go back to the car um, and um, get a torch and then come back again. But before she went to the car, she heard someone calling her. Kelly, Kelly. She looked around the house and by now. Her breathing was heavier. Her heart was pumping. She didn't know where this was coming from. 
and just couldn't work it out. The house was dead quiet. There was no one around and a lack of light made it even more scary. She looked around the house, couldn't see anyone squinting in the darkness, just using the street light for what little light there was. Felt her way up the stairs, looked around the rooms, kept hearing, Kelly, Kelly. Thinking it might be the viewer, she felt a responsibility to keep looking around the house. Still nobody. By now, breathing was heavy. She was sweating. She walked down to the bottom of the stairs, looked around, still couldn't find anything. She thought the best thing I can do is get out of this place quickly. Looked around, still no client had arrived. Walked out the door, feeling relieved to have got out the door. Shut the door behind her, secured it. Heard it again. Kelly, Kelly. Turned out she'd butt dialed a friend and hadn't realised her phone was in her pocket the whole time. <laughs> so that was Kelly and the story of Common Side East. Now, tell you about a little one that I had and then we'll get on to a more serious one that happened um, that I do think that people need to consider because it's so serious and it could happen to you. So we're going to get on to that one in a minute. But first of all, I'm going to tell you about something that happened to me. I got instructed on a property in Norbury and this was again a probate sale. Most probate properties, if you don't know, tend to be quite dilapidated. And so we expect when we go in there that there might be a few issues, bits and pieces. And so we're always quite cautious when we're looking around to find out what's going on. This particular one was in very poor condition. I walked in the door, looked around and again, it was dark. Guess what? No power. And I thought, oh, but I'm quite used to this because it happens all the time. Got my phone out, looking around in the darkness, the usual cobwebs in the face, you know, dirt on the hands as you try and walk up the stairs and make sure the stairs are there so they don't fall through on you as you go. Looking around the house, it was quite spooky, actually. It was quite late at night, and quite spooky. Well, I don't think it was late at night so much as dark. Went up to the first floor. Everything looked as normal, apart from the fact it was very old and dated. And then as I looked up into the loft, I saw a shadow of a figure of a man in a hat, sat in a rocking chair. So I called out, hello, hello, no answer. So then I thought, we have a responsibility to make sure this property's vacant. There's a guy out there that's not moving. Is he alive? What is going on? But it was in the loft. There was a ladder. So I took the decision with a big lump in my throat to climb the ladder, went up into the ladder, still shouting, hello, hello, hoping the guy would turn around and look at me. And there it was, the silhouette of the man, literally a silhouette shining because he was sitting right by a Velux style window, a roof window looking out. And then as I got closer, I realized it was a mannequin. And it turns out the story was that the owner, the vacant, the property had been vacant for some time and had been plagued by children messing about in the garden. So the owner had taken the view to buy a mannequin, put it in a hat and make it look like he was looking out the window all times. But it was pretty scary at the time, I have to tell you. Now, the story that is really important and one that I think any estate agent needs to know about is the story of Susie Lamplew. Now, if you don't know this story, listen up. Uh, this is a serious story. So if you have young children around, um, 
you know, you might not like them to hear it, but this actually happened. And it was one of the saddest stories, I think, in estate agency history. Um, and it was in 1986, the last Monday of July in 1986. And it was in broad daylight and in the middle of a working day. Susie Lamplute, a 25 year old, disappeared during the course of her work as an estate agent whilst showing a client around a house in Fulham. Speaking at the time, the late Diana Lamplew vividly recalled the phone call she received from Susie's manager. He said, oh, hello. Do you have any idea where your daughter might be, Mrs. Lamplew? We wonder whether she could have called him to home for lunch. I don't want to worry you, Mrs. Lamplew, but Susanna left to show a house to a client just before lunch and she hasn't returned. We just wanted to check anywhere we could. Diana recalled that it was so unlike Susie, who usually stuck to the rules and regulations, something must have gone wrong. Back in time now. At 12.40pm on the 28th of July in 1986, Susie had left her office, Sturgis and Sons, 654 Fulham Road, taking her house and car keys and a purse with £15 and credit cards, but leaving her handbag behind. Ten minutes later, she was seen waiting outside an empty property, 37 Shorrells Road, which had only been on the market for one week. At 1pm, she was joined by a man, presumably the Mr Kipper she had written in her diary. And minutes later, they were seen walking away from the house. At 6.45pm, her manager reported Susie's disappearance to the police. Diana's reaction was similar to many people facing a crisis. My initial reaction of frozen shock gave way to a flood of adrenaline which shot me into overdrive. We must find her. Physically, all that energy must be directed into action. My husband and I went down to the river where her car had been abandoned. We called, we shouted, we encouraged our dogs to search for her. We must have been disturbing the neighbourhood, but more than that, as the police were there made clear, we were getting in the way. Susie's company car was discovered by the police about a mile from her office in Stevenage Road, Fulham just after 10 p.m. There were no signs of a struggle, no fingerprints unaccounted for. The driver's door was unlocked, the handbrake off, and her purse was in the glove compartment, but her keys were missing. The following day, the 29th of July, there was an article in the London Evening Standard headed Kidnap Fears for a State Agent's Girl. Scotland Yard reported there was grave concern for her safety. Wednesday 30th of July was 50th birthday of Diana. I'll start that again. Wednesday the 30th of July was Diana's 50th birthday and the Lamplew's home in southwest London was besieged by journalists. Diana welcomed the media as a way of finding Susie. On the Thursday, Diana and her husband Paul appeared twice on television on BBC's Breakfast Time and TVAM's Good Morning Britain. Diana articulated her fears. I feel she's shut up somewhere, that she's being held against her will. I feel that because she hasn't contacted us. She's a very strong, very fit lady, so she should be able to cope with most situations. As the media interest was building up, sacks of letters were being delivered to the Lamplew home. Some were from friends praying for them. It seems so particularly unjust that such a thing should happen to a family which has always shown care and love for others, especially in their distress. Others were from strangers who had met Susie. Susie brought my green Renault off me and she struck my husband and I as a smashing girl. One of them read, a few days after Susie went missing, Diana showed a journalist the piles of letters. I think we've heard from the entire town's women's guild. It's something everyone can relate to. 
and a lot of them said they felt almost as if it had happened to them. On the 4th of August, a week after Susie disappeared, Diana confided on BBC TV's London Plus that she was beginning to realise her daughter might be dead. I can face up to the fact that she has died, but I cannot face up to what has happened between. That's too much. Paul explained that since Susie suffered from the fear of being in a closed space, she had panicked once in a cable car. They knew she would have been terrified to be shut in somewhere. They found it easier to believe she was dead than that she was still suffering. Despite a police reconstruction and extensive media coverage during the press silly season, no information was forthcoming on Susie's fate. As Diana wrote five years later, there's not been a single trace of her. Nothing. Just as though she's been erased by a rubber. Susie's body has never been found, but she has been presumed murdered and was legally declared dead in 1993. Now, it's an awful story, really shocking. And the result of this was the establishment of the Susie Lamplew Trust. And it's now the UK's pioneering personal safety charity and leading stalking authority. Established in 1986, the Susie Lamplew Trust is widely regarded as a field expert in loan working and personal safety training. And I urge you to visit their website, actually, the susielamplew.org trust. Um, you must go there if you're working alone. They do all sorts of things such as good quality rape alarms, advice for loan working and general advice on stalking and the like. It has a long history of working with violence against women and girls sector, dealing particularly with stalking and harassment. Given that it is believed and indeed the evidence suggests Susie may have been targeted by a stalker. The National Stalking Helpline was set up by the Trust in 2010 and has helped over 45,000 victims since its inception and is the only service of its kind globally. The Trust exists so that what happened to Susie does not happen to anyone else. Over 35 years, they've worked towards reducing the risk of harassment, stalking and aggression and violence by empowering people to take steps to avoid, mitigate or manage risks across all aspects of their life. The Trust campaigns heavily to raise greater awareness of personal safety and stalking issues, demand systemic change where needed, influence public policy and promote a society in which people are safer and feel safer. Its longest running campaign has been the licensing of operators and drivers of minicabs and private hire vehicles, which began in 1998. This campaigning and policy work has been pivotal to changes in legislation and practice nationally, including the introduction of the Protection from Harassment Act 1997 and the Protection of Freedoms Act 2012, which introduced specific offences for stalking and the 2020 stalking protection orders. So they've done some amazing work. And, you know, from tragedy, they've actually come away with us and helped so many other people. You have to have the greatest respect and admiration for what they've done given the family's tragedy um, but I think the reason I wanted to bring this out was because so many estate agents are loan workers and there are so many of you out there I'm sure listening to this that are also loan workers and you need to take extra care you need to make sure that if you're going somewhere and you're going there on your own that you're properly protected in any way you can be number one take a rape alarm with you number two make sure that a party, a member of your family knows where you will be or a member of your workforce knows where you will be and how long you will be away. Make sure you mark it in diary or other shared facility that others can check where you are, when you should be there and when you should be coming home and why. By doing this, you can protect yourselves better. So really important message to get across then. You know, I know Halloween's a time for fun and everything else, but I wanted to get across a serious point that loan workers need to protect themselves because they are vulnerable. And in our interest particularly because we have so many women working in the industry and they are more vulnerable. So make sure you protect yourselves out there.
another extraordinary story for you. This time it's a property in Pollard's Hill. Uh, we recently sold a property and it was rather dilapidated, needed quite a bit of work and quite a lot of things removed. The client had a very stressful time with a sale, it's fair to say, with removal of goods that were left behind, etc. cetera. Uh, but what she wasn't expecting was what comes next. She was in, in the loft and looking around and she found various bits and pieces, wasn't sure what they were. And then she found in the corner a very large blanket covering a large amount of items. So she shuffled over to the corner, as you do in the corner of the loft. And then as she unwrapped things, she thought, this is unusual, big, heavy metal. She unwrapped this thing and saw a box which said danger, flares. That's unusual. And then she unwrapped another item. And there it was. A cylindrical looking item with fins on the back. She wondered what it was. Doesn't know about things like military equipment. And nonetheless decided to WhatsApp her friend and ask what they thought this was. So she WhatsApped her friend a picture and got a call back immediately from her friend saying, please be very careful. You have a World War II mortar bomb, which is probably live and very volatile. Put it down gently and get out of the house as quickly as you can. So the client was obviously shocked at this point, very gently and gingerly shuffled back from the corner, ran down and out of the house and called the police. Within minutes, three squad cars had arrived. The bomb squad were on their way and an ambulance was outside. The area was cordoned off. She was told that there may be a controlled explosion in her house that she's literally just bought. Eventually, the bomb squad arrived, managed to defuse the device, and they actually found a live mortar bomb, live bullets, a rifle, and some flares, all from World War II, all sat up in the basement. It was quite shocking and quite a scare for the day. And thankfully, all's well that ends well. But there's another property horror story for you. Apart from that, thanks very much for listening this week. Hope you've enjoyed the Property Buyer and Sellers podcast. We'll be back with another edition next week. Until then, look after your family and friends. Ciao. Thank you so much for joining us on yet another edition of the Property Buyer and Sellers podcast. You can find out more at our website, jamesalexander.com. You can email me directly, ken at jamesalexander.com. We are estate agents and we can give you hints, tips, tricks and advice wherever you're buying, selling, moving to or from. Thanks to Ben Sounds for the intro and outro today and thanks to Jack Bowles for production.